Hello, and welcome to the Phantasms of the Living podcast. I'm your host, the paranormal author and musician, Simon Thought, coming to you from New England, USA. This series covers case studies from the seminal, two-volume, massive work known as Phantasms of the Living, published in 1886 by the Society for Psychical Research in England. The Society was made up of both skeptics and believers in the paranormal, and conducted research into various areas in an attempt to prove whether such phenomena were real or not. Led by the authors, Edmund Gurney, M.A. and Frederick W.H. Myers, M.A., both late Fellows of Trinity College, Cambridge, England, and Frank Podmore, M.A., they published the results of their studies in the two approximately 700-page volumes, which they entitle Phantasms of the Living. In the parlance of the society, a phantasm was their term for a paranormal event. In the book, the authors explored about 700 case studies of such events, ranging from sightings of ghosts, premonitions of future events, telepathy, and more. They and their team from the society then performed research to determine whether there was any truth to the story being told, and whether they were corroborated by real events. This podcast will read those case studies and the results of the society's research into them, then discuss them. This episode comes from Chapter 9 of Volume 1, which is entitled Borderland Cases, meaning cases of hallucinations which occur in the transition between sleeping and waking, often taking place when a person's in bed but not asleep. This is the borderland. The authors break these sorts of hallucinations into three categories, illusions, continuations of dreams into waking moments, and a miscellaneous class. Our case studies today, being cases number 189 and 190, deal with the person on the receiving end of the event experiencing it with more than one of their senses, such as both hearing and seeing something. I want to give my usual warnings that, being written in the 19th century, Phantasms of the Living has the flowery, formal language one would expect from that era. However, I think it adds an elegance and materiality to the tales. In a perfect world, the case studies would be told with a British accent, but I will not offend your senses by attempting that. You'll have to hear with my American voice. Let's read our first case study of today, which is case number 189, a story of almost telepathic hallucination. The next account from Mrs. Woodham of five Royal Naval Cottages, Penge, was obtained through the kindness of the Honorable Roden Knoll. Case number 189, June 26, 1884. I had in my service a charwoman of about 60 years of age who had served me faithfully for more than 20 years. Her husband had been one of my husband's Coast Guardsmen, and on his death, the poor woman had to work to support herself and four children, two of whom turned out badly. I had helped her as much as I could besides employing her and found her very valuable in being trustworthy. She regarded me with great affection and used to say to my daughters that there was no one to her like the mistress, as she always called me. In August, a mistake for October, of last summer, I had agreed to visit my sister who resides in Edinburgh, and having fixed the day, a Wednesday, had arranged for Mrs. Hallahan to come as usual. My son, who was going with me, persuaded me to set out on the day previous. Mrs. H. arrived, expecting to see me. Strange to say, she was very much taken aback, moved, and exclaimed, The mistress gone without seeing me. She went to my house as usual during my absence, about a month. 
One day, while working at my married daughter's house, she was taken suddenly ill about six o'clock in the evening, was conveyed home in a cab, and died next morning. Meanwhile, my daughters did not mention to me the death of my dear servant, but only that she was ill, knowing it would grieve me. But just at the time of her death, ten days before I returned home, I was sleeping in the room with my sister in Edinburgh when, in the dusk of the morning, I was awakened by a loud knock and saw the figure of a woman in a loose dress standing at the side of the bed, looking towards me. I sat up and said emphatically, Who are you? What do you want? I repeated the question twice, which woke my sister, who asked who I was speaking to. I replied, To the woman standing there. Immediately the figure melted away like a shadow. I was so impressed with what I'd seen, I went up to the room on several successive evenings wondering whether that shadow-like form would again appear, but it never came. On returning home, the first question I asked my daughter was about my old servant, as, thinking she was ill, I wished to go see her. I was astonished and grieved at the news of her death. All at once the truth flashed across my mind and I exclaimed, Why, I saw her myself! and then related to my son and daughter the above facts. My description was so clear and vivid that they were equally impressed as to its truth and feel as sure as I do of the occurrence being a fact. I never saw anything of the sort before, nor have I or my family ever believed in ghosts, but they implicitly believe this, knowing that I am in no way fanciful. I feel sure that my dear servant, who was, I find, speechless for some hours before her death, had me on her mind. I can only think that the dusk of the morning and the darkness of the room between five and six in the morning, the hour at which she died, prevented my recognizing the features, but I can truly vouch for the above facts. Eleanor E. Woodham. The account of the narrator's sister, March 5, 1886, is that Mrs. Woodham awoke her in the dusk of the morning by saying twice, Who are you? And when asked to whom she was speaking, replied, Don't you see that woman standing there, pointing to the side of the bed? Then, on her sister's remarking, you must have been dreaming, she replied, I've been awake for some time and distinctly saw her there. In conversation, Mrs. Woodham assured the present writer that she has never had any other visual hallucination. The dress of the phantasm, as far as observed, sufficiently corresponded with Mrs. Hallahan's usual aspect, but the only distinctive point was the covering of the head, not a cap, but a loose wrap or shawl. Mrs. Woodham was once, when a girl, woke in the same way by a loud knock which could not be traced to any objective source. And this experience, she says, precisely coincided with the death of a relative in the house. It is noteworthy that though her sister is a very light sleeper, and though it was very near her usual hour of waking, the loud knock did not wake her. This is at any rate some proof that it was hallucinatory. Mrs. Woodham is able to fix the hour of her experience as she did not go to sleep again, and the work of the household began soon after. Her son and daughter personally confirmed the narrative as to the points in which they were concerned, and Miss Woodham remembered that the hour of the death was stated to her to have been 6 a.m. At my request, she went to see Mrs. Hallahan's daughter, who confirmed the fact that this was the hour. Thus supposing the days to have been the same, the coincidence was extremely close. Mrs. Woodham is not certain of the exact number of days which elapsed between her experience and her return home, but thinks that they did not exceed a fortnight. And she did her best at the time by going over the events of these intervening days to fix the date of her vision. But all that could be fixed with certainty was a very close approximation with the death, which in an in-memoriam card copied by Miss Woodham fixes as October 23, 1883. 
As with most of the case studies, real names and addresses of the reporter are given, lending credence to their authenticity, and the facts were researched to corroborate them. It's interesting that Mrs. Woodham does not recognize the apparition, but, upon hearing of Mrs. Hallahan's death, knew that the vision had been her. Of course, the clothing was the same, and the date and time of death corresponded to when the hallucination occurred. There was no way for Mrs. Woodham to have known of Mrs. Hallahan's time and date of death, and certainly not exactly. Could this have been a dream? Mrs. Woodham clearly did not think so, and her sister corroborated that Mrs. Woodham had been speaking to someone, although nobody was there. Could Mrs. Woodham have just been anxious about Mrs. Hallahan's state and age, which came out as a premonition of her death? These so-called borderland cases are easy to explain away by just attributing them to dreams. However, if this was a dream, it was extremely accurate. One thing to keep in mind with all of these cases is that the speakers had nothing to gain by lying, or by even participating in the study at all. The dates and times are specific, and mostly borne out by the researcher's investigation. I want to talk to you about Buzzsprout. If you want a podcast, and honestly these days who doesn't, Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out into the world. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and help support our show. We use Buzzsprout, and I cannot tell you how easy it was to set this up. Super simple. All you can do is start with some gear you probably already have and a quiet place to record. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Create something great with Buzzsprout. Our second case study is case 190, which is very long, but very good, and very creepy. So this is the case of Mrs. Lightfoot, a lady who is none the worse witness because she takes not the slightest interest in our work. The names and dates were filled in by the present writer immediately after a personal interview, January 30th, 1884. Case 190, 51 Shraftsbury Road, Ravenscourt Park West, January 11th, 1884. In giving the following experience, I may premise that as a child and since, I've comparatively had but little knowledge as a personal experience of fear, and the existence of ghosts I have always disbelieved. Did I ever see or hear sights or sounds for which, on examination, I could not account? I've always come to the conclusion that they arose from natural causes, which were beyond my reach of inquiry. Hence, I've always refused to accept anything without proof, and I may add that I have rarely been convinced. Some ten years ago, when in India, I contracted a great friendship which was reciprocated for a lady, Mrs. Reed, the wife of an officer. She had not been very strong, but when I parted from her with the intention of returning to England, no danger, the word had not even been mentioned, was anticipated. And for some few months after my return, I heard from her bright and cheerful letters enough. In them, she certainly spoke of her health not being good, but nothing more. Then after a time, her letters ceased, but I heard very regularly from others at the same place, and they mentioned that her health was gradually getting worse and that she would probably be ordered to England for a thorough change, but still I had no sound of fatal ending, and I was looking forward to her return with a great deal of pleasure. 
It was my practice not to only to go to bed very late, but also for the last half hour to pick up a book, the most uninteresting and dry that it was possible to find, and so try to soothe the mind. The moment I commenced to feel really sleepy, I would lower the gas to almost a pin's point, for I did not care to distinguish it as I had a child of three sleeping in the same room, and then I could always compose myself comfortably to a sleep into which I could then fall in a very few minutes. On the night of September 21, 1874, I had followed this exact routine. I had put aside my book, lowered the gas, and at a little after midnight I was sound asleep. As I knew afterwards, I must have slept about three hours when I was suddenly aroused and was, so far as I know, perfectly wide awake by a violent noise at my door which was locked. I have some recollection of feeling astonished, a fear I then had none, at seeing or rather hearing within that instant my door thrown violently open as though someone in great anger, and I was instantly conscious that someone, something, what shall I call it, was in the room. For the hundredth part of a second it seemed to pause just within the room, and then, by a movement, which it is impossible for me to describe, but it seemed to move with a rapid push, it was at the foot of my bed. Again a pause. For again the hundredth part of a second and the figure shape rose. I heard it, but as it got higher its movements quieted, and presently it was above my bed, lying horizontally, its face downward, parallel with my face, its feet to my feet, but with a distance of some three or four feet between us. This for a moment, whilst I waited simply in astonishment curiosity, for I had not the very faintest idea of either who or what it was, but no fear, and then it spoke. In an instant I recognized the voice, the old, familiar, imperious way of speaking, as my Christian name sounded clear and full through the room. Francis, it repeated, I want you. Come with me. Come at once. My voice responded as instantaneously, Yes, I'll come, but what need for such a hurry? And then came a quick imperative reply, But you must come at once. Come instantly and without a moment's pause or hesitation. I seemed to be drawn upwards by some extraordinary magnetic influence and then just as suddenly and violently thrown down again. In one second of time, the room was in a deathly stillness and the words, she is dead, or simply burnt into my mind. I sat up in bed dazed, and now, for the first time, frightened beyond measure, I sat very still for a few moments, gradually making out the different forms in the room. Then I turned the gas, which was just above my head, full on, only to see that the room was totally unchanged. At the foot of my bed, at some distance from it, was the child's iron cot. I got up and looked at him, he was sleeping quite peacefully and had evidently been totally undisturbed. I went to the door to find it fast locked. I opened it and gazed into the passage. Total silence and stillness everywhere. I went into the next room where there were sleeping two other children and their nurse to find equal quietness there. Then I returned to my room and I must confess it with an awful fear oppressing me. She had come once. Might she not cut him again? I wrote down the date and the hour, and then opening the shutter and window only looked out for the welcome dawn. I went down to breakfast that morning, but said nothing of the details of my dream, only mentioning that I'd had a very bad and very vivid one. Afterwards I found I could settle to nothing, and at last was becoming positively so ill that I was obliged to go back to bed.
That same afternoon, curiously enough, a sister came to see me who had been abroad with me and whilst there had known and liked the same friend. She saw I was much upset about something of which I did not care to speak and by way of cheering me up began telling me news of various mutual friends. At last, during a slight pause, she said, "'By the way, have you heard anything lately of Mrs. Reed? "'When last I heard, she was not very well.' "'Instantly came my response. "'Oh, she is dead.' "'And it was only my sister's look of blank horror and astonishment "'that recalled me to myself. "'What do you mean? What did you hear?' came from her in rapid utterance. "'And then I bethought me, how indeed did I hear? Who had told me? "'But tell her the dream I could not, so I merely answered, "'You will see that I am right when you look in the newspapers.' How I have heard of it, I will tell you some other time, and directly I changed the conversation. The visit did good, however, for I got up and went out with her, and I can only say that the impression my manner and words made upon her was so deep that at the moment she arrived home she sat down and wrote to a lady in the west of England, one who knew us all, and who heard by every mail from her husband who was in the same place as our friend. My sister told her exactly what I had said and begged that she would at once send her particulars since I had not done so. By return came the reply. I cannot, dear Lady B, in the least understand your letter, nor what your sister can possibly mean. The last foreign mail only came in this morning, after the date, of course, of my dream, and so far from being dead, my husband tells me Mrs. Reed is much better. Therefore, were Mrs. L, myself, can have obtained her news is beyond any comprehension, for it is quite impossible that she could have had later news than mine, in fact not so late since my foreign letter arrived after your visit to her. This is not a copy, but a reminiscence of the letter. And so the matter rested, but within a month from the date of my dream came the news of Mrs. Reed's death on September 21st. I have but little now to add. The bereaved husband returned to England and called upon me. He gave me some details of the last days, and on my asking whether he remembered her last words, he turned to me with quite a look of surprise and said, Why, Mrs. Lightfoot, I believe your name was the last she mentioned. Further, it was many months afterwards before my sister again broached the subject. But at last one day she said, I do wish you would tell me how you knew of Mrs. Reed's death. Of course, I then told her, and I may add, that so deep was the impression produced upon her that even in her last illness, which occurred seven or eight years afterwards, she spoke of it. For myself, I never really recovered the shock for a long time, and even now the impression is as vivid as though it only happened yesterday. Francis W. Lightfoot Both the Calcutta Englishman and the Pioneer Mail, Allahabad, gave September 20th, 1874, as the date of Mrs. Reed's death. Mrs. Lightfoot has unfortunately not kept her note of the day and hour. As she has now no independent recollection of the date of her experience, but only remembers the fact of the coincidence, and as it is practically certain that she heard the correct date of the death, the 20th, which has since become converted in her memory to the 21st, it seems tolerably safe to assume that her experience fell on the night of the 20th, that is, on the early morning of the 21st, not on the night of the 21st, as stated in the account. In answer to the question whether this was the only occasion on which she has had a sensory hallucination of this kind, Mrs. Lightfoot answered, yes. She adds that her sister, Lady B, mentioned the matter at once to several friends and relatives. The sister has since died. In conversation, Mrs. Lightfoot confirmed again the fact of having had no sort of visual hallucination on any other occasion. She once, and once only, has had another remarkable auditory experience, 
when the sudden hearing of her Christian name saved her from a terrible fall in the dark. The origin of the sound was carefully inquired into and could not be ascertained. As proof of the absolute conviction produced in her that her friend was dead, she told me that she had prepared a birthday present to send her, and the box was actually soldered up and had been going in the next mail, but she found it impossible to send it. She had been under the impression that the time of death exactly coincided with her vision, but she had reckoned difference of longitude the wrong way. Mrs. Reed's husband informed her on her inquiry that the death took place at 11, that is 11 p.m., as she thinks of September 21st, but no doubt of September 20th, and the vision was probably therefore eight or nine hours after it. My impression of Mrs. Lightfoot entirely corresponds with her own description of herself, that she is a practical person and without any sort of predisposition to frights or visions. The present one gave her a most severe shock, the effects of which have lasted for some time. It is interesting that Mrs. Lightfoot took great pains several times to say that she did not believe in the supernatural or ghosts, but that this event shook her for quite a long time. For a non-believer, she certainly was adamant about Mrs. Reed being dead, even with no facts to support that claim other than the hallucination. The researchers checked the dates and were quite correct in explaining how Mrs. Lightfoot actually did get the date of death right by meaning the night of the 20th into the 21st of September as opposed to the night of the 21st into the 22nd. While she insisted that the experience was not a dream, Mrs. Lightfoot called it a dream a few times during her telling of the story, that caused the authors to footnote that while she sometimes used that term, she was clear that she was fully awake at the time. If so, why use the term dream? That does add some skepticism to the tale. That said, again, she did not have to come forward to participate in the study which published her name and address. She was very clear that she did not believe in the paranormal, so perhaps she used the term dream as a way of rationally explaining what had happened, even though she knew she was awake. In fact, Maybe the slip of the tongue was in admitting that she was awake and that she was really trying to say it was all a dream. This ends our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Simon Thought, and I wrote and produced it, other than the parts read from Phantasms of the Living itself, of course. Our theme song is called The Salad Bar and was performed by my band, Simon Thought and the Uploads. It's available on the usual music streaming platforms if you are so inclined. Any comments from listeners about what you think these case studies mean would be appreciated. You can also tell me your story of phantasms you've experienced. I may read what you send me on a future episode. You never know. I can be reached by email at simonthoughtintheuploads at gmail.com. I'll review and discuss further case studies from Phantasms of the Living in future episodes, and I hope you will join me then. Thank you for listening, and be vigilant. You never know when a phantasm will occur, so keep an eye out. Be well, and goodbye. Goodbye.